So we are in week two of a three-part series that kicked off last week on why rational, uh, I'm a little loud up here, guys, if you can hold me down a little bit, why rational people reject Christianity, right? Why people who are not believers, but they're good thinkers, they're they're smart people, uh, people that we love and care about, people that we do life with, why they kind of sort of reject Christianity, titled Not Interested not interested. And maybe you've been there before. Maybe someone saw you, uh, that you were tagged in a church post or noticed you reading your Bible on your lunch break or saw that you uh, were suspiciously putting Easter (laughs) invites on their windshields after work, and they asked you point blank, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And you said something like, well, I mean, yeah, kind of, sort of, I guess technically I am, but not the kind you're thinking without really knowing exactly what kind of Christian they're thinking or referring to. And maybe this has never happened to you. Maybe you've never had that happen to you, but maybe, maybe you've tried inviting people to church before and and they looked at you, they looked at you like you were crazy to think that they would want anything to do with the church. And here's the thing: not all of their reasons reasons are entirely cocoa for cocoa puffs, right? Not all of their reasons are, are crazy reasons or reasons that don't make sense. And so in this series, we're going to talk about three of the main reasons that actually make a lot of sense. Last week, we talked in depth uh, about the first reason why people reject Christianity, and it's because it breeds ignorant people who use the Bible to avoid reason. Too many believers are just hanging on to the Bible and throwing scriptures left and right because that's what they heard, because that's what their grandma told them, because they heard someone else make reference to it, but they took it out of context and they're not actually applying it. And so what they're doing is alienating someone else without really understanding what the Bible is saying. Today, the second reason why rational people reject Christianity is because it punishes anyone who thinks differently or asks difficult questions. Believers are alienating people. They're punishing people who think differently than they do or ask difficult questions. Let me start off by this. As a kid, do you remember ever having a question or wanting to ask a question in a group? And like you throw your hand up in the air and wave it like you just don't care. Right? You're standing there and like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And you ask this question and <laughs> And they all look at you and laugh. They look at you and laugh. You hated that feeling and never wanted it to feel that way again. You genuinely just wanted to know the answer because you were still learning. You did nothing wrong, but the shame of that moment stuck with you. And we carry them with us. Wherever we go, they shape how we talk and how we act and how we relate and respond in life. That's why some of you are are afraid to grab a mic. (laughs) 
The truth is, we as people have a core need to feel like we belong. If we realize that admitting if we realize that admitting we don't know something or aren't sure about something or have a different uh, take on something, that it may, get, it may get in the way of that belonging, right, because we want to belong so bad, it's safer and easier to go along with whatever than to rock the boat and risk rejection. Let me ask you this. Ever pretend to know something that you didn't? And if you say no, you're lying. You're in church. How dare you? Because you have. We've all done it. Right? We've all done it. Here's the thing. It almost wasn't a decision for you to make. It was an impulse. Someone said, hey, you heard about X, Y, and Z, right? And you're like, um, yeah, yeah, I do. I heard that before. Mm -mm. Let me tell you a funny story. When I was a kid in high school, we had a baseball team, and one of our pitchers, I'm not going to mention any names just in case they're watching, right? He, he, he had this thing like he wanted to be a DJ. And so, so he would always talk about, oh, I know this music, and I know this music. And, and so the rest of the boys were like, he don't know Jack. And so we just started throwing names out there. It didn't even exist. Hey, did you hear the song about so-and-so with this so-and-so? Oh, yeah, 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 I heard about it. We would just crack up, crack up, because the song never existed. Point in case, there are people out there. We all do that, right? We all do that. And you were like, yeah, 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 I, of course, I heard about it. But you had no idea about what you were talking about. Whatever it was they said could just as likely be the name of the latest viral TikTok dance or the latest shoe collaboration between Nike and Haritos. Exactly, you don't know about it. So you just play along. Everyone has done it. We want to come off knowledgeable, capable, and relevant, not like the idiot that didn't know what they were doing or, or think they, 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 they knew what they were doing, right? Because they wanted to be in the know. This is partially because our culture values knowing over learning. We live in a society where people value knowing over learning. And this leaves a lot of us feeling like we can't ask questions, either because the topic is embarrassing or it's something that you assume everyone should know by now because everyone else seems to. So we hide the fact that we don't know how to fix a flat tire or know where to pour in the windshield wiper liquid. A lot of people don't know. We hide the fact that, you know, don't raise your hand up here. We hide the fact that we don't know how to create a budget for our home. We hide the fact that we don't know how to monitor our kids' screen time. We hide the fact that we don't know how to Simply watch TV with all of the apps and the, the boxes and the controllers and the passcodes and the bundles and this and that. You know how many times my family, we are six, you know how many times I get asked for the password? So much so that now I think it's written in, on, on the glass. In my, no, just kidding, right? I would even dare to say, church, that everyone around you, everyone around you is walking around pretending they know more than they do. 
And I think it's even deeper than that when it comes to the church. It's not just that we don't know how certain things function. It's that we're uncertain of what to put our faith in. So we just quietly struggle with our own private crisis of faith. But our deepest questions don't disappear. We just feel like it's unsafe to ask these questions. Is there a God? How, how do we know the Bible can be trusted? Is hell a real place? Does God answer prayer? Does it matter if you're a Christian? Was Jesus really the Son of God? You see, because as believers, we think, oh, man, we grew up in church. Right? We should know these answers. And if we don't know these answers, then people are going to look at us funny. My mom used to take me to kids' church. I don't know what I did up there. but And so we are embarrassed because deep down inside, we really have those questions. Is God real? Is he listening to my prayers? Or does he only answer the pastor's prayers? Trying to figure out what's okay to ask questions about, wrestle with, or have a different take on and what not to ask. Because we've all got things that we're not sure about, church. Some are philosophical or situational, but our biggest spiritual questions aren't theoretical. They're deeply personal. Some experience in life didn't match our previous expectations of God, and we want to know why. We truly want to know why, but we don't want to raise our hand. We don't want to ask those questions because we might be shunned. Somebody might make fun of us. Somebody might laugh. But deep down inside, those questions remain unanswered. Maybe you grew up with a certain black and white, uh, with certain black and white ideals or impressions of what, a, what being a Christian is like or should be like. But now you're starting to wonder if they might be, they, they, they might be much grayer than you were originally led to believe. Maybe it's not as simple as you wish it were, and the world is full of diversity and ambiguity and tension that needs to be considered and contextualized. And if you've never had this realization, I guarantee that your kids, your, your teenagers and your older young adult kids have or will have. Listen, pretending that they don't see this world this way doesn't make it go away. It's still there and it's still real for them. You can't just hide it. You can't just sweep it under the rugs, and you just can't, don't worry about it. How many parents have done that when your kid asked you a question that kind of stumped you or challenged you or challenged what you were laying down? You're like, don't worry about it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. We've all been there if you're a parent. But why? But why? But why? But why? Just, just shut up and just do it. Go do it. Maybe you don't talk to your kids like that. I don't know. Man. Because you're lying in church again. Gosh. But that's exactly 
That's exactly what some of us do. Certain questions make us so nervous that we prefer to pretend that they're not valid. That they don't need to be taken seriously. And even talking about them kind of elevates or promotes them in a way that they don't deserve. We've already decided exactly what we think, and any contrasting thought to that is dangerous. And the result, the result of this is a kind of Christianity that is harsh on skepticism or non-belief. We're harsh on the people that don't see things the way we see it. And we talk about them, even though we're called to love them, but we talk about people like that. So we shun them and blacklist people who ask too many tough questions or bring up alternative perspectives. So the vibe, the vibe that we give off is that we'll tell people what to think instead of teaching them how to think. We'll tell people what to think instead of teaching them how. We shame people in our circles who read books by certain authors or listen to a particular podcast. We've seen people disagree with their parents on a particular issue and never speak to them again because of it. And this is just the people that we know. Then there's all of the stuff that we see and hear on the outskirts. I make us go... <laughs> We've all seen witch hunts online where someone shared a thought or an opinion, but immediately a mob of Christians were like, oh, they don't, don't, don't watch their movies. Mm-mm. Don't listen to their worship music. Mm-mm. Don't go to their place of business. Don't support them that way. We'll teach them they're wrong by destroying their lives and their livelihood because they see things differently than I see them because I'm right and they're wrong. But honestly, this pales in comparison to the literal witch hunts that the church supported back in the days. Tens of thousands of suspected nonconformists were persecuted and prosecuted, and thousands were tortured. Many were executed. 80,000 were tried as witches. 40,000 were killed. None of these people thought they were doing anything wrong. They were just doing what was necessary to protect their faith. The message was loud and clear, though. Fall in line or else pay the consequences. By the 4th century, labeling someone a heretic gave you permission to treat and to torture in almost any cruel way that you could imagine. Someone just suspecting you of heresy could result in being, you being ostracized, beaten, or even death. And it was difficult to defend yourself because the accusation was essentially they think differently than the rest of us. They think differently than the rest of us. And because of that, we're going to prosecute you we're going to beat you, and you might even die. But interestingly enough, Jesus, Jesus never tortured, killed, or ruined the life of anyone. 
including those who disagreed with him. But the same cannot be said of the religion that claims to follow him. When you look at the life of Jesus, he seemed to entertain lots of open discussion and debates. Even amongst his disciples, it's who he was, but it was also the tradition that he came out of. We're going to go into a little bit of history here. You see, Jesus was a traveling rabbi, right, which means teacher. And he traveled with, with the disciples, which means uh, students. And so the style, the teaching, and the learning didn't look all like the classrooms look like today, right? Because many of the classrooms have a different approach to how they teach. You see, these, these, these men were being taught about critical thinking, about asking questions, about poking holes and wrestling with uh, their faith, which was believed was the point of their tradition as a whole because Israel or Israelite means to wrestle with God, right? Wrestle with God. It's people who wrestle with their faith, who go back and forth trying to understand better. For ancient Jews, the synagogue, their church, was where you went to openly ask questions. And so it was a place to go if you weren't sure about all of the pre-agreed answers. You went there to ask questions and find out. And that's what a faith community ought to be like, church. People who ask thoughtful questions, sincerely seeking to understand what Scripture says and wrestle together with what that means and how to live it out in a way that it honors Jesus. That's what a Christian community should be like. And we're not all going to agree on everything. I believe me. We're not all going to agree. We can start off where the Yankees and the Dodgers are. We don't agree. My Yankees are better than the Dodgers right now. Uh, uh, see? see? See what I told you? But I love you. Right? And that's okay, church. It's okay to be in a place where other people have different thoughts, are trying to have different questions than you. I've said this before from the platform. My journey is not your journey. And you can't paint your journey to look like my journey. My journey is mine alone. And I'm on this intimate journey with Jesus. Just like you are on your intimate journey with Jesus. And it won't look the same. That's part of the process. That was Jesus' process because he understood that there is no discipleship without debate. There is no discipleship without debate. Can I tell you that <laughs> there, I, I, I am constantly challenged on online, on my social media. People got tons of questions for me based on a post I gave that doesn't line up with them. And some of them are non-believers. The rest are believers. In fact, some of the people closest to Jesus had asked him questions of, uh, questions of him that most of the churches we grew up in the world will label off limits. They were asking Jesus questions 
that many of the churches today would say, hey, we don't, we don't ask those questions in church. We don't talk about those things in church. In Matthew 11, chapter 11, 2, 3, John the Baptist is in prison. Right? He's in prison. And he's making the Romans, <laughs> he's making the Roman leaders very angry. His teachings have stirred up questions. And so Rome labels him a threat to the empire and locks him up in prison. He knows he's essentially biding time to, before they, they kind of put him to death, right? And in that dark moment in that prison, he sends his students, <clears throat> he sends his students to go out to Jesus and ask the biggest question you could possibly ask him. My question is, are you the Messiah? Jesus, are you the Messiah? Now, some of you who don't know the story of, of John are like, what's the big deal? I'm asking him right now. Jesus, are you the Messiah? But see, here's the thing. John grew up with Jesus. John did life with Jesus. He ministered alongside of Jesus. In fact, he baptized Jesus. He witnessed his miracles and heard him teach. He had been convinced, man, this is the man. This is the dude. This is the Savior. But in the face of his own death, he doubted. He had doubts because he's human. He's human. And that's what people do. Even the prophets, they have questions. They have doubts. Matthew 11, uh, verses 4 to 5, Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, typical a rabbi move, but Jesus asked John to decide for himself based on his actions, not on his answers. Based on his actions. Jesus doesn't take issue with this because an active, authentic faith asks questions, acknowledges fears, and wrestles with doubt. Church, Jesus Jesus is a safe place to bring your deepest questions, concerns, and doubts. If we're supposed to become more like Christ, we ought to be the safest place for other people to bring their deepest questions, concerns, and doubts as well. Like the original 12 were called to be disciples, students, students, learners of the way of Jesus. We're not called to have all the answers and be the experts. We're called to learn and grow and have our eyes open to whatever it is that we're missing. Regardless of where you are in your journey with Christ, you don't know it all, and you don't have all the answers. And I'm pretty sure there's a few things that you are missing, just like me. But the thing is that we don't want to be students. We don't want to be students of the Word. We want 
to be teachers. We don't want to be followers. We want to be leaders. We don't want to ask the questions because we want to have all the answers. And maybe you're wondering, hey, pastor, when do I stop learning? I'm tired. I've been coming to church for a long time. I know a lot of stuff. Plus, you talk a lot. But when will I arrive? There are multiple occasions when Jesus, where Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you still not know? Do you still not know? Jesus was witty, and I think he often said it sarcastically with maybe a, just a little ounce of annoyance. These guys have been hanging out with him every day. They've been hanging out with him every single day, listening to and watching him. They lived in the same culture, and they spoke the same language as him. And their biases and, and ideas and preconceived notions still, still got in the way of them seeing the truth that he had wanted them to. Can you imagine Peter Peter was the man. Peter was always around Jesus. And he's over there trying to cut people's ears. Come on, Peter. Come on. Cut the ear. Go for the throat. Do no, just kidding. <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still learning, church. Don't judge. Don't judge, right? How much more do you think there will be things that you don't get about God? If the disciples struggled this much, how much more do you think that you and I will struggle with about God, about faith, about right and wrong? The good news is that you don't have to know it all, church. That is the good news, that you do not have to know it all. There are very few requirements to be welcomed into the family of God. Very few requirements. That's why there are so many denominations out there because people have put a lot of requirements. Romans 10.9 says this, listen, so if you believe deep in your heart that God raised Jesus from the pit of death and, and you voice your allegiance by confessing the truth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. Punto. Simple. Period. It's done. But man, do we complicate things. We love complicating things. We as in Christians, we love adding layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer and make it so difficult for people come to come and know Jesus and experience his love. And I know even some of you are still here today. Like, I don't, <laughs> Pastor, that, that sounds really simple, but I, I, don't, I don't even know if I can do that. Guess what? You're still welcomed here. You're still welcomed in this church. You're still going to be loved in this church because that's what South Hills do, does. That's what we do. God wants you to bring all of your questions, church, all of your struggles, all of your doubts, and all of your fears to him, even the ones about whether or not he even exists. Really? Yes, really. Matthew 12, 
uh, excuse me, Matthew 23, 12 to 15 says, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You don't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. What does this mean? All of these religious people had this elaborate list of things they said that you had to believe and ways that you had to behave in order to be accepted by God and embraced by their community. The problem was that there were people who had questions. There were people who had questions. What about this? What, what, what do I do with this? Do, they, do, do we have to do that? Are you sure we're interpreting this correctly? Does that still apply now? Right? How so? And the Pharisees didn't want to hear it. The Pharisees didn't want to hear it. Quiet, quiet down. Quiet down. Just follow the rules. Just follow the rules, right? Stop asking questions. God has no room for your doubt. God has no room for your question. God has no room for your fears. God has no room for your, uh, uh, your lack of understanding. And Jesus' <laughs> Jesus' response was, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong to say that, to believe that. God welcomes wrestling. To deny that is to slam the door of heaven in people's faces. Let me, let me get uncomfortably practical here this morning if you haven't started to feel the heat just yet. Slamming the door of heaven in other people's faces looks something like this. You're not a real Christian or don't belong here if you don't really believe in the literal six-day creation. You're not a Christian or belong in the church if you're not sure if you think two of every single animal took a cruise around the world together. You're not a Christian or belong in church if you don't believe all of the rules and the regulations in the ancient book of Leviticus are for us today. Like, woman, leave the beard alone. Last week was a good joke. You missed it. That's why some of you aren't laughing. The people that laugh were last, year, last week. Because Leviticus says you should not shave the hair on your face or your beard. Or my favorite, you're not a Christian or you don't belong in the church if you think that Buddha, that maybe Buddha had some really good quotes. Friends, those are not requirements for a relationship with Jesus. It's okay to not know. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to have doubts. Christianity is not about having all of the right answers. It's about humbly living and loving like Jesus, period. 
Nothing more and nothing less. Christianity is about humbly living and loving like Jesus. Church, a true Christian makes room for differing perspectives, models the way of the ways of Jesus, and mindfully wrestles with their faith. A lot of Christians love to draw lines in places and make demands that Jesus never did. I'm going to wrap it up. I want you to think about that. A true Christian makes room for differing perspectives, models the way of Jesus, and mindfully wrestles with their faith. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. It's the Word of God. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. In other words, stop arguing about unessentials. Stop arguing. Stop drawing lines about things that are unessential. Like, why are you dressed like that to church? Does that matter? Pastor, you listen to salsa? Yeah, I do. What does that matter? Did you watch that R-rated movie? Yeah, they, they shot people. I like it. What does that matter? For years in Puerto Rico, I've said this before, they thought I, I pastored a cult because I didn't wear a suit and tie. I hate suit and ties. I'm a big dude, and big dudes don't belong in suit and ties. It's stuffy. They said I was too young. They said I didn't look the part. They said because I painted the walls black. Silly. Other lights reflect that. Lighting looks better. Why do you turn down the lights in worship? So people don't have to pay attention to other people around them worshiping. They can just stay themselves and focus on them worshiping. We concern ourselves with so much so many things that are not really important about our faith in God. Can we just figure out how to live our lives, humbly live our lives, trying to love people and be more like Jesus? Here's the thing. Because you know what sort of environments people really grow and develop in, right? One where it's safe to have a discussion about an issue or perspective about everyone making decisions or assumptions about their whole character or attacking you personally. Right? We all want a place that we can feel safe 
a place where we are welcomed and loved, hugged and high-fived and given a donut and some coffee, a place that people won't judge you if you wear Adidas instead of Nikes. A place where it doesn't matter the color of your hair or the style of hair you have. A place where it doesn't matter whether you came from the club last night straight into church today. What matters is that you have entered a place that will love you, respect you, embrace you, allow you to struggle and ask your questions. Church, we should be asking ourselves, who have I allowed myself to argue with at a distance to avoid investing in up close? That should be your question. Who have I chastised? Who have I shunned? Who have I pushed away? Because they didn't look or talk or dress or act like me. I should have been investing in them, loving them as Jesus would. And maybe you're like, man, that's cool, man. I'm open to undecided people asking questions. But what about people who have who have come to to their excuse me to their own different conclusions? Those those right there, those are heretics, Pastor. Those are heretics. Those are the people we have to look out for and block on social media and warn our kids about, right? Maybe. If you feel that strongly about it. But here's the thing. There are a handful of scriptures that tell us, that tell us exactly what to be on the lookout for. And they refer to them as false prophets. Matthew 7.13 and technically if you're taking down notes and if you're listening technically a false prophet is someone who's actively teaching against the essentials of Christianity the essentials of Christianity of which there are only five five essentials that the church has historically agreed upon number one Jesus is God in human form Number two, Jesus died and rose again. Number three, that we're saved by grace through Jesus. Number four, there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number five, the Bible is inspired, is the inspired Word of God. That's it. Five. You want to stand on something and hold it to be true. Stand on those five. The rest... Let people ask. Let people, let people struggle. Let people figure things out. Because here's the truth. Those five, that's it. That leaves a lot of wiggle room for different thoughts, different opinions and preferences. Now, that's a big challenge for many of us. That's a lot, Pastor. That's the point I'm trying to make here today. That's the point I'm trying to make here today. 
This may come as a shock to you, but there's room in the church for people who have different ideas. There's room in the church for people who have different uh, 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 political sides, take political sides. There is room in the church for people uh, who, who, who have different ideas about prophecy, about music, about movies, about drinking and smoking and gambling and how uh, the earth should be cleaned up or how old the earth is and how church should look and what the pastor should wear or not wear and so on and so forth. Not everyone, not everyone, right? Won't you hear me out? Just because it is at the top of your list doesn't mean that it's at the top of God's list. Does that make sense? Not everyone you dislike or disagree with is a heretic or a false prophet. Sorry to break the bone. Not everyone that you don't get along with is a heretic. Matthew said, in fact, sometimes those with the most insight come in packaging that you don't expect. And that brings me back to the original story with John. Matthew eleven nine tells us that John wasn't a conformist. He wasn't a conservative or a traditionalist in his appearance or approach. As John's messengers were leaving, Jesus says something to the crowd that he wanted them to hear and bring back to him as well. He's essentially saying, John, John, you weren't what other people expected you to be. But you're the real deal, dude. And many people have missed your message because they couldn't get past their narrow expectations of who was giving it. Right? John was dressed all funky and he didn't look like someone that knew stuff. And he says, I am also not who people expected. I'm not what you expected, John. But listen to my words and look at my character. John eleven eighteen, nineteen 19 says, For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. In other words, the thing that you didn't expect became what you expected. Nobody liked John the Baptist at first and now he's been a, that he's been around for a while. You all think that I should be more like John. Church, if you've ever been labeled a heretic, you're in good company. You're in good company. Jesus was as well. And partially because instead of looking down on those who had questions or doubts, shaming them for their non-conforming conclusions or conduct, he went out to eat with them. He sat with them for hours 
over food and drinks. He talked and laughed with them. He listened to their stories and asked them questions about their experiences and past hurts and points of view. In other words, Jesus, the only one who literally knew it all, approached others with a humble, relational posture of a learner and not a lecturer. And he invites us to follow his lead, church. What would happen if instead of repeating this shameful versions uh, 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 or seasons of violence-written, heresy-hunting church history that we chose to focus on aligning our everyday lives with the words and the ways of Jesus. What would happen if the church stepped out and did just that? Loved people. Loved one another. And decided to walk in his ways. Learn from him. Those who lived through the New Testament days of the early church seemed that, to think that it might save the world. That it might be a positive impact on the world. And I too feel the same way that if we would just love people, love people, even though what they see and think and understand does not line up, what you see and think and understand. That we would engage in conversations and allow people to ask the questions and have the doubts, the fears, and struggle with what they believe or not until it's confirmed in their spirit. That's the world that I want to live. That's the church I want to pastor. And I hope that you do the same.